Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson podcast on justthenews.com. I hope you'll check out all the Just the News podcasts. You can go to justthenews.com and see the list of them on the homepage. Today, I have a fascinating interview with filmmaker Sean Stone on the topic of conspiracies and control. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you know a bit about the propaganda effort to call things conspiracy theories to try to discredit them and to call people conspiracy theorists, even when these things are true, as many conspiracies are. I wrote in one of my books, The Smear, about how some academics have traced the origin of this effort to the CIA. Call something a conspiracy theory and people will dismiss it, or it implies that those talking about it are somehow crazy or unhinged. It's worked pretty well through the decades, though I think more people are getting wise to this tactic now. That's the sort of fodder for filmmaker and media host Sean Stone, who explores the psychology of conspiracies and control in his new documentary series, Best Kept Secret. He talks with me about that and also about his famous dad, Oliver Stone. The best kept secret in my mind is the way that humans have been um, controlled throughout, not just throughout history, but even to the present day. And the various forms of that control um, our mind control, um, physical control, slavery. Um, now, you know, now human trafficking is an aspect of that. Um, sexual abuse from, you know, from childhood, physical abuse from childhood. Um, and the ne- next evolution of control, which is transhumanism, essentially the idea of merging man with machine. So I really wanted to basically create a series that took people on a red pill we call red pill journey step-by-step to understand how, um, yeah, we are controlled. Even the elites are controlled using their various, you know, sexual perversions like pedophilia and whatnot to, uh, having that information to compromise each other. Like the Jeffrey Epstein case is a good example of that. So it really is a, is a docuseries about control, but it also gets to that level of, you know, the dark agenda beyond it, which you could call a satanic agenda. Um, which gets into the spiritual question. If we've had spiritual controllers, you know, since the ancient times, the ancients described them as archons and demons and things like this. You're in your, are you in your late thirties? I am. What's a little bit of the backdrop for what made you interested in this line of inquiry and the thought of making film about it or a series about it? So, I mean, growing up, I was, uh, you know, and acting in films as a kid, films like Wall Street and The Doors and JFK. And JFK was certainly mind blower, you know, opened me up to this realization of, wow, if the president, you know, the media tells you the president's most powerful man in the world, and this guy can be killed right here in broad daylight, what does that mean about true power? And it's kind of like, that's why I love the show Game of Thrones. It's like, what really is power? Is the power in the, is it in the church? Is it in the spiritual leader, right? Do you give your power to, you know, to that to that personality, but, or is it in the, is it in the gun, you know, is it in the military, right? And in, in the general or whatnot, or is it in the, you know, the law, the legal system, right? Where is the power? Is it in manipulation? Is it in money? Obviously, right? The ability to create money, financier class, where is power? I've always been curious by that 
by that uh, that question since that age. Then I was, you know, a kid when I when I saw JFK and and then uh, thereafter just always studying the sort of the darker side of you could say, you know, the power elite, whether it's CIA black operations and how they were operating all through the Cold War. That evolved into my book, The New World Order, which I did as my thesis work at, uh, at college. Basically, my, my thesis paper was on this, this topic of the New World Order and the desire to create more and more uh, international government controls. So basically to take away the national sovereignty of a, of a nation state, to dissolve the, the nation state system that's been around really since the Treaty of Westphalia for hundreds of years, trying to dissolve that into these more supranational organizations and structures and financial structures. One of my favorite sayings somebody wrote on Twitter or Parler in the past six months, and I keep saying this to other people, was I have to find some new conspiracy theories because all my old ones came true. And I kind of feel the same way. The most wild sounding things that you can't believe are true and that, in fact, a lot of forces want you to believe are not true by calling them conspiracy theories, they do happen. And one of those that I think you'd know a whole lot more about than I do, but it's been mentioned to me over the years, is the CIA's MK Ultra program, which you touch upon in your series. Can you just tell us a little bit about MK Ultra? And I'll tell people this is all documented and documents have been released and verified. So this isn't conjecture or conspiracy theory that's not true. This is actually a fact. Indeed. Well, the interesting thing about MKUltra, which is a mind control project that had many sub-projects as part of it um, that dealt with everything from uh, radiation experiments, uh, biochemical warfare experiments, um, LSD, you know, drugs, things like this. Um, actually, there's so many different techniques that were involved. The funny thing about MKUltra is we really don't know much about it because a lot of it is oral history, people coming out orally talking about it, telling their experiences as victims. Why do we know much about it? Because the government shredded the documents. The CIA director literally said, you know, destroy the documents on this program. And it's only like a, a miracle that uh, a few boxes were discovered to even prove that this was real. If they had destroyed the government, if the government had destroyed the documents, it would have been, you know, like so many of these conspiracies where you say, oh, well, well you can't prove it. There's no documents, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you destroyed them. So in this case, we have some, you know, we have some documents. We know that the CIA worked with many private institutions, foundations, you know, like the Rockefeller Foundation and groups like this, prisons, uh, mental hospitals, to essentially outsource the work and the research into understanding how the mind, uh, you could say, you know, trying to understand how the mind works. There's, you know, again, there's many different things that we're, that we can, we can estimate as to what they gleaned from it. You know, what, how did they apply it? Um, you get, you know, you get survivors and testimony from many people who came out of these programs talking about, uh, being abused as even as children, they're, you know, young children, which is the more, that's like the seamier side of the whole MKUltra program is that that's the thing that they don't want to acknowledge is the idea that they use kids or that they abuse kids in the process. Um, because that's just such a violation, obviously, of you know, talking about like violating human rights just by doing these programs, oftentimes on unwitting um, uh, victims, but then actually involving kids in these programs. Whew, that's like, they don't want to acknowledge that, but that's, that certainly seems to have been the case. And not just, again, not just the CIA officially, because what people don't understand about how a lot of these things work. So many of these things are outsourced to private groups. And especially in the wake of when these things were divulged, right, which was 
uh, the, the, like the church hearings in the 70s, it became even more clear why you had to outsource because there couldn't be any government oversight when you're getting into very illegal territory, when you're getting into very black territory when it comes to, again, um, manipulation of people, uh, espionage, uh, murder, right? Things that can be considered illegal. The CIA certainly has been an umbrella sort of term that people say for conspiracy, but it's not always CIA, like it's not always a CIA director that specifically knows about it. A lot of these things are compartmentalized. A lot of these things are privatized. A lot of these things are moved into sort of like, you know, class, more classified sub-programs that can be, you name it, they can be joint within different, you know, within uh, Pentagon, CIA, NSA. There's uh, there's so many different organizations people haven't heard of, like uh, not just like Naval Intelligence, but like, what is it? Um, there's a satellite, like there's like a satellite research. Like there's so many different uh, groups. There's NRO, National Reconnaissance Organization. There's so many different groups that people haven't even heard about, different agencies they don't even know exist, right? That you can literally hide things in them. So it's very difficult to know uh, the extent. That's why you really have to just listen to the witnesses and the, the, the witnesses or the victims of these things and let them tell their story. Like we have Kathy O'Brien in, in the series. And it's up to you to decide if you, you know, believe her or not. You know, this seems like a good place to insert um, conversation I had with a very, very, very one time high ranking intelligence official who told me a couple of things, which I thought were very interesting. First of all, he said, most people think the military is this big circle with a little bit of dark projects. And he said, actually, they show you a graph when you get into the dark area, I guess, that says this big circle is the dark stuff the public doesn't know about. The, pub, the part you see of the military is this little tiny circle. And then he said, without divulging classified information to me, anything you can imagine that could be done, we're doing, plus we're doing things you can't imagine. So if your imagination is saying, I wonder if this is possible, he said, we've done that. And I said, weather control? And his answer was, well, there are public records showing that in the 60s, we in the Soviet Union or the Russians were trying to control the weather. Who wouldn't? I mean, it sounds crazy on the one hand till you think about it. Who wouldn't want to in terms of national security and weaponry and so on? So I asked him a few questions like that. And he finally said toward the end, you know, he was discussing with a colleague some of the stuff they do. And he said, if the public knew and he goes, the only way we could ever tell it, we decided, of course, is on our deathbed because we're, we can't talk about it. We, he said we'd be killed if we talked about it. And then he said to me, you should do a story on that. And I said, you haven't told me anything. You just told me that. <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff you can't tell me. But, you know, I use that with my, if I can imagine something, then I, those words ring true to me that, that the government is trying to do it or has dabbled in that and is doing something beyond that. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we know about things like uh, Stargate programs. I mean, Stargate and other projects from the, from the 80s where they were doing, you know, psi stuff, right? The, the, thing, the men that started goats was based on these programs that were being done, um, you know, with, you name it, like remote viewing and trying to figure out the quantum nature of the universe. And, you know, can we figure out how to, uh, you know, get Jedi powers, essentially, right? To activate Jedi powers. One of the guys that was involved with the Stargate project was Aquino, Michael Aquino, who's one of these psychological warfare specialists, lieutenant colonel in the military, who we interviewed in the series and also talk about, you know, a lot of the allegations about Aquino involving uh, pedophilia and abuse of children. He denies it, of course, but... Um, Set that up a little bit more. The, um, the part I saw, I reviewed, he's someone that a number of people testified 
um, and filed criminal complaints. He was high ranking military person at the time. And they said he was responsible for abuse, sexual abuse of children, all kinds of things. Were these parts of experiments or was he separately just part of some allegedly satanic cult? What set up that whole scene for us? So Aquino is an interesting character because he can't, he comes out of the church of Satan, right? He's very, he's very close to LeVay. And does he admit and, that? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's public. Like, so he's, he's close to the church of, he's basically he's part of the church of Satan and the church of Satan's ideology is basically inversion. Like if you, if you, we, we put a quote from LeVay in the series, it's like, you know, freedom is slavery up is down, left is right. I mean, that's very much how they play, like how they see the world. It's, it's games. It's like, you know, to them, you know, if you worship Satan, right? Or you, you know, you, you basically think what? Like everything, everything, there is no evil. That is good, like, good is bad. Yeah, like Aquino says, it's like you go beyond good and evil. You don't have any real morality at that point. You have, you know, you have your own sense of personal, you know, personal morality. I don't know what, it, you know, what he would consider morality because you've basically rejected any conception of like the 10 commandments, the Christian, the Judeo-Christian Islamic value system, right? You've kind of rejected that. And then you look at the world as sort of like your oyster to play with and manipulate. So when he, so Quino has his psychology, he goes to Vietnam. He's part of the, the Phoenix program, which is essentially like the darkest of, you know, waterboarding, uh, surveillance and torture and murder, assassination, right? All these different black ops that were going on. My Lai massacre may have been part of that. Actually, there's always been like an interesting issue about like the CIA's involvement in Milai and essentially like what they were doing. And so there's always been suspicion that Milai was sort of like an offshoot or some, some aspect of the Phoenix program or like an offshoot of Phoenix, but Phoenix, Phoenix is like a fascinating program to research. if uh, People want to like learn about how CIA works essentially. Right. So essentially Aquino's part of this, this program comes back stateside. And I think it's around that time he splinters from the church of Satan and creates a temple of Set. The temple of Set is essentially the Egyptian version of Satan, right? Set was the, the god who uh, fights against Horus and Osiris. So there's like, you know, there's a whole theology here um, that I don't want to get into, but I think that the point being that Aquino is fascinated by Himmler, by the Nazis, you know, he's openly fascinated. He goes and performs rituals in the Wevelsberg castle, right? Which was the SS, like it was Himmler's castle. And, you know, he, again, he's just like, he's really into like these psi, like I said, psi stuff, which is, you know, how the mind works. Um, he writes, he writes books about, um, what is it? The uh, mind war, essentially, like how basically we can't win a Vietnam using conventional weaponry. I mean, I guess you could argue, you know, you can win a Vietnam by nuking, nuking the country, but like, what is that going to achieve, right? You're not going to achieve your aim, which is not to control the territory, your aim in that in that war is to is to basically influence the culture, right? You want them to be on your. You want to influence the Vietnamese to be pro-American. Let's say. That another so how do you another do that? way of saying win the hearts and minds. Exactly, win the hearts and minds. So, what would their approach be? Aquino has this book all about different manipulations, including EMF frequencies, right? Uh, various you know uh, various frequencies that can be deployed to like make people more docile or obedient or friendly. I mean, it's just like, it goes in this book, it just outlines every kind of manipulation, even theoretical, whether theoretical or practical or actualized, we don't know. Some of which, like you say, weather warfare, we don't know where they are as far as how advanced, you know, the technology is. But um, that's the whole point. Like, how do you basically 
when the psycho, the psycho landscape, the, the psycho spiritual landscape. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's his, that's his orientation is essentially, uh, the mind is the battlefield. And, um, that's why when we talk about like the children that were abused, we don't know if was that part of his experimentation, you know, personal, like how do you say off books experimentation, um, as part of temple of set, was he just oriented that way? Was that a sexual orientation or was it just, you know, again, I, I don't know enough to say. What will people discover in your series if they watch it and where can they see it by the way? Yeah. So the docu-series is on Vimeo on demand and it's on iconic David Icke's website. Uh, it's on Brighton now. Um, and so those are the main, those are the main places for people to find it. Under the best um, secret. Best kept secret. Exactly. Um, and they can go to my website as well. Seanstone.info is always a good, um, a good place to find my work. Um, so you said, what, what will they learn? You said, or what was the question? Yeah. I mean, you, there's so much going on, you know, I watched the first two parts and it's just full of, wow. Like it just explodes in my head. You know, the things that you touch upon, um, what can people expect to get out of watching it? You're, you can't do entire documentaries on each one of these programs or people that you name, but what is sort of the takeaway you're hoping people will get? Yeah. See, to me, it's, it's like, I wanted to basically do, um, like I said, a red pill journey, step-by-step going deeper into the rabbit hole based as, you know, as much as possible on factual cases, you know, real history, you know, as you saw in the first episode, starting with the, the Franklin scandal, for example, which involved prominent politicians and, you know, the trafficking of kids and rape of kids. So things that, you know, you can't just say, well, this is just some conspiracy, Q conspiracy. It's like, no, this is rooted in real events, real history. And by putting some connecting dots on things, I'm really hoping to elucidate the nature of how the power structure works, right? How you can have uh, a Bohemian Grove where they have this mock sacrifice of, of a child taking place for the elites every summer, right? These, this sort of summer camp for the, for the, the elites, oftentimes they say the Republicans, but it's not just Republicans I and mean, Clinton and company were all, you know, all invited. So it was, it still is, you know, it's like, how can you get, how do you get the psychology of, uh, have, of witnessing a mock human sacrifice? Well, if you watch the whole series, you'll understand why human sacrifice is part of the psychology of this, what I, I believe is the elite religion. I mean, one, one guy who's, you know, claims to be part of this, 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 these families, Jay Parker and, you know, has been adamant on this stuff for many years and consistent and consistent with other people's testimony. That's the main thing. When I give, when I give people as, te- as witnesses or testimony in, in their story, it has to correlate to others. It can't be like, this is just coming out of the blue. Like there have to be other people that have said very similar things or, you know, privately said so, but not willing to be on record or anonymous. So when you get someone like Jay Parker saying, look, I'm part of one of these families and my parents really were worshiping Moloch, which is this ancient, you know, demon essentially right that's talked about in the ancient but you know in the old testament but essentially this idea of moloch being um an entity or force that devours children that loves human sacrifice that's all about mind control because what are we doing we see a culture around us a world that's based on sacrifice you know it's blood sacrifice what are these wars you know so many of those wars are just blood sacrifice of you name it you know young young teenage kids, you know, go join the military, you know, go sacrifice. World War One was a bloodbath. What was that about? You know, 
checking Germany from expanding its empire to compete with the British empire because the British controlled a quarter of the planet. You know, I mean, people, we have to recontextualize how we look at this insanity called the world. Like, you know, John Lennon talked about right at one point. It's like, if you looked at this reality and just look at it, these people are insane. We're run by psychopaths. So the documentary is about exposing the psychopaths, the psychopathic nature, the psychopathic worldview, right? Um, not naming names necessarily, but you can figure it out by the end of it. You can sit there and go, wow, you know, now they want to sacrifice the kids with this, you know, this Vax rollout for anyone over, you know, five years old and over. I mean, think about that. Think about the consequence, all the evidence showing that kids have no danger. They're more, they're more endangered by the shot that can give blood clots and has. Then, you know, and we don't even know the long-term effects, but we're going to sacrifice our kids now for, for what? I mean, it's like we at some point got to stop and say, these psychopaths are ruling and we have to stop listening to them and obeying. Let me insert here, as I often do, because every piece of work that I do is combed over by the vaccine industry interests and propagandists to try to make hay and to falsely claim, as they often do, that I or anyone who asks logical questions about vaccine safety are anti-vaccine. Not true. And this discussion, to the extent we talk about vaccination, is not a recommendation of what an individual person should do or decides. The most I say, I'm not anti-vaccine, I'm not pro-vaccine. It's a different situation depending on the person, the vaccine, the, the circumstance, and so on, as I've learned scientifically over the years. But I advocate for getting a lot of full information. CDC has information. Some of it is good. Some of it we've shown and proven, and they've acknowledged on the record is false and misleading. And you have to call through that and look at other sources, I think, to make up these, make these decisions and also consult with a physician who knows you. So I'm just making that little disclaimer for the folks trolling me, trolling us today. <laughs> More after a short break, including Sean talking about growing up in a household with Oliver Stone as your father. Tasks, deadlines, and projects. What if your teams had a tool that brought everything together? Trello is the project management tool that powers collaboration for over 2 million teams across the globe, including 80% of Fortune 500s. Trello brings teams together by tracking daily to-dos and provides a high-level view across projects and teams. From product development and design to support and production, Trello helps all teams move their work forward together. Thousands of IT admins around the world trust Trello to keep their work safe. With Trello, your teams will have access to hundreds of top-tier integrations they can rely on. A big reason why Trello is top-rated for employee satisfaction. It's where companies do their best work. Trello for enterprise. Learn more by visiting trello.com slash for enterprise. That's T-R-E-L-L-O dot com slash for enterprise. Your father, Oliver Stone, would you say he was a filmmaker? Producer? Yeah. Yeah, filmmaker. I mean, writer, director, producer. He's kind of affiliated with conspiracy theories. And wasn't there a rumor that he was in the CIA? And you refer to that in your docu-series. Yeah, we had fun with that. Well, it was like, um, I don't know if it it was a serious rumor. It was in the movie Conspiracy Theory with uh, Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah, that's right. And Julia Roberts. And so they had like a little fun moment where you know, they said, oh, Oliver Stone, the Oliver Stone, George Bush connection, which is a real connection because my dad went to school with George W. Bush, not the father, but the son. And uh, they didn't know each other at Yale, but they were at Yale at the same time. My dad dropped out, 
went to Vietnam to serve in the military. And so it's just a funny thing that, you know, they mentioned this Oliver Stone, George Bush connection, because others over the years, I guess, have said like, oh, Oliver Stone must be part of the CIA or part of this, you know, he's part of the conspiracy because he couldn't make a movie like JFK unless, you know, unless he was part of it. I was seven years old when it came out. But after that, I mean, I was certainly more inclined to, um, you know, say, how do you say, to like read the books that they don't recommend, you know, in, in high school. Like my dad would always push me like, you know, read, read this, you know, read about, uh, you know, Smedley Butler, for example, right? And the um, so-called the, the plot against the FDR, right? The, the, coup, the, the coup attempt against FDR. Like he had me reading about things like this or, you know, William Blum's uh, history of the CIA and uh, great, great, great couple books that William Blum wrote that really, again, exposed a lot of the black ops. Um, so many, so many books that my dad just had on the shelf, you know, and just conversations that we'd have about different aspects of American history that, uh, again, you don't necessarily get the detail or you don't necessarily see the alternative perspective, but in the mainstream, I should say, but that's why he did his untold history of the United States, uh, docuseries, which is a 10 part series that's really interesting. And, you know, and again, showing sort of the counter narratives, showing some of the things that are not discussed for the most part in the mainstream books, kind of like, um, what was it? The people's history of the United States by Zinn. I mean, even that you can, there are definitely flaws in, in any historical book. I mean, history is, is so, uh, multifaceted, so complex. It's one of the things that I really was, was sort of at one point just admitting like you're exhausted over trying to figure out what is, you know, how much does psychology play into person's actions as opposed to, let's say, other in, you know, influences from other people around them, right? It's, if you're, you know, Truman decided to drop the bomb, you know, on, on Japan, just as an example, is it like, you know, is it basically because who are, who are the people influencing his thought process? You know, how much, what are the, all the facts? You don't have, we don't have all the facts because, you know, most of these documents are, you know, either things are not written down, right? A lot of things are said privately or discussed privately that aren't written down, or a lot of these documents could be, you know, classified and shredded. Um, one of the people that we interviewed in the docuseries, Douglas Dietrich, who was working at the Presidio in the, you know, in the library, essentially, like, some of the, it wasn't the library, it was like a military librarian, but he said that he was oftentimes tasked with destroying and shredding documents, you know, things that were that the military never wanted to, to divulge, right? Things about UFOs, right? Things like that. So again, it's just, it's, it, or, or military weaponry, you name it. Like, you know, it's just, it's a fascinating world that you realize how little you know. I think that's more than anything, what growing up made me realize is like, even when you study, even when you read, even when you talk to people, you ultimately come to this realization of, I know so little about the nature of my reality. Well, when the advent of the internet, initially, I think it was this great hope that, and largely fulfilled, that anything you could wonder about, even if you were being told one official story, you could find out about other things. You could search and have pretty open and free access to all kinds of information. But what I've seen and written about since, in an accelerated pace since 2016, powerful efforts have worked very hard to control that so that you can no longer easily access views, scientific studies, information that these interests want to control and don't want people to see or believe in a way that I think is so heavy handed. I hope it's backfiring on them, but it's, it's kind of scary because as part of this effort, you have to think how clever they are to have gotten 
the media to agree to go in on it and to cheer on censorship. So we actually have major news media saying, yes, we want to be part of the system where we keep you from seeing and believing certain things that we know about because we don't want you to think it. And then the ability to get big tech to come in on it, the ability to have many in the public cheer it on like, yes, please do what's good for us. Don't show us anything we shouldn't see. I mean, that's quite a feat since 2016. But what are your reflections on the notion you said your dad writing about counter narratives? The idea that to the extent that stuff is going to be accessible at all in the future, it's going to be so largely controversialized, it seems to me. You're not going to be allowed to see it or you're going to go on somebody's list if you do read it to be observed and watched as someone who could be dangerous. What are your thoughts? We are in a huge battle, aren't we? I mean, it's just it's incredible that we're at this place because we have more access than ever to information, right? We have this vast uh, resource, you know, that is the internet. And all the libraries of the world essentially are housed there in different ways. I mean, it's amazing. They, they have these like Gutenberg, was it Project Gutenberg and things like this where um, you can like pull up a lot of old books and, um, you know, just download them, print them. You have access to Amazon has, you know, huge collections of, of books available, you know, you can order still. And uh, it's just, it's, it's amazing how much information is out there. I'm more worried about, I don't know, like in terms of you could digitally destroy it. Yes. I guess there is, there is a concern to that. that anything that's digital could ultimately be erased, but at the same time, we have to trust that there's this sort of sharing concept that um, kind of like the torrent thing, right. This initially was like the idea of, of file sharing and that's, that's where, you know, think, thankfully, as long as, like, as I do believe as long as someone has the information, you know, and you're not, it will be available because we, as long as someone's out there with the information, they're willing to share it and the discourse that goes on. I'm actually more impressed by the, the awakening that has occurred over the, ca- the past couple of decades of, you know, the, of my lifetime, you know, to say in the late 90s, you know, early 2000s, when I was made aware of David Icke's work, for example, and it was like so out there and this reptilian conspiracy idea, you know, it was like so laughed at to the place where, you know, by the late 2000s, when I was like looking into these things and the Illuminati agenda and all these different topics um, that, you know, I was reading in books more than anything, finding evidence of conspiracy in, in the books. And then by the 2010s, I'm looking online, everything's on YouTube at that time maybe I'll be censored in future, but by the 2010s, it was like amazing how much there was this expansion of awareness. And then by everyone was talking about the Illuminati and music and the influence of, you know, these, these conspiracies and secret societies and music and, and other than, you know, had it spread from there. Occupy Wall Street gave birth in many ways to other forms of like awareness of, Oh, wow. The federal reserve is a private thing. Well, we knew this, but like people started to talk about this for the first time. Oh, the federal reserve is a private entity who really owns it. Right. Who are the families that actually own the fed and, and, and uh, loan the government, you know, our, our government money. And the fact that our government itself is a corporation, you know, essentially it could be argued illegally domiciled in DC as this territory um, essentially shifting the whole nature of our governance from United States to this United States corporation in DC. So um, it's amazing, like how the awareness, I found like the awareness growing amongst people where again, like conversations or thoughts or reading that I would have done, you know, in the nineties or the two thousands became more mainstream to the place now where um, 
a lot of people are familiar with concepts and so and have this knowledge. And now it's just a question of waking. Why? What's inhibiting the other half of waking up? You know, let's say I think about half about half the planet is 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 relatively awake to the conspiracy at this point. I mean, I think that in many ways the, the election last year. I think many ways shows that, you know, the fact that Trump got more votes than the previous time, the fact that, um, you know, that's, and it was unprecedented, by the way, people don't talk about it, but like, no, I don't think it was any other president that got that many more votes on his second run than the first time. And the most votes of any sitting president in history, just not as many as Biden reported. Well, supposedly, (laughs) I, I, I would definitely say if you believe, you know, the overnight if you believe on November 3rd was the election, I think, and on the 4th was a different result. But on November 3rd, when the election happened, he did get more votes than any president in history. On November 4th, yeah, that's a different story. So anyway, um, the, uh, the point being that I think that reflects this awakening, this desire for people to, to, to resist what is, you know, what he termed the deep state. Um, the fact that people are talking about a deep state openly. You know, we, we knew about this back in the 90s and 2000s, shadow governments, you know, the fact of these conspiracies, it was like this furtive thing that, you know, yeah, you know, if you're a Republican, you didn't like it because it implicated, you know, around Contra was a Republican thing, right? And if you were a Democrat, you didn't like it because it implicated Clinton. So no one likes to talk about it. But by now, everyone's like, well, yeah, it doesn't matter if we're Republican or Democrat. We know there's a deep state. <laughs> liquid, you know, I, liquid I do remember people used to say that was a conspiracy theory. And I think more often than not. People acknowledge there is some form of that wherever they stand. Some people think that's a good thing or would argue, you know, that's what helps helped keep Trump in control if they were a Trump enemy. I thought one of the most stunning things I saw was when there were State Department officials testifying under oath at a hearing that when the president of the United States, meaning Trump, directed them to do certain things with foreign policy involving, say, Ukraine, that they intentionally knew what he wanted and defied it because they said, it was against our policy or contrary. And I'm thinking, but the president makes foreign policy. And then it suddenly occurs to you, no, he doesn't. That's what the constitution may imply, but that's certainly not how things work. And nobody in Congress even followed up these things with a question such as, well, regardless of whether you agree with it, when the president has directed you to do something, you don't have the authority to provide a different message to the leaders of another country. And nobody, that didn't seem to surprise anybody or merit any follow-up no one ever asked biden when he kept saying they told me to not to answer this question they told me to do this no one ever said who's they they? (laughs) (laughs) When, when he says we're not going to do x and then the white house comes out later and says we are going to do x who is it who's above president biden who's able to did he make a mistake and acknowledge it and i asked this question the other day when the president of the United States says something regarding policy, but then a White House spokesman says something different, does the media take the president's word for it or does they take do they take an inferior's word for it? Whose whose opinion goes? Well, they clearly take the spokesperson's opinion later. But to me, it's whatever the president said is officially supposed to be our policy. And, you know, it's, it's very confusing. I think it's it's clear that they're that the 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 math the mask guy is not really running things. Yeah. <laughs> well, my last thought is: Have you heard um, the origins of the phrase conspiracy theory? Because if you have, I'll let you tell it. And if you haven't, I'll tell you my version of what research showed when I talked to a scholar. 
Um, I'm actually looking at this book I have here called Conspiracy Theory in America. Yeah. And it's, it's worth having on your shelf. Uh, Haven Smith wrote it. And he, trace, he traces some of the you know, various conspiracy theories going back to the, uh, the founders, you know, the founding fathers and their, and their various consp- you know, conceptions of conspiracies, right? I mean, the nature of uh, the, the revolution itself was a conspiracy, right? It was a group of people gathering to, uh, you know, to overthrow uh, a government of, you know, let's say, you know, the, the, the monarchy of England's governance over the Americas. Um, conspiracies have a long lineage in, in, uh, in reality and in history. Anyone who studies histories, you know, you have to be familiar with conspiracies. Um, in terms of the term conspiracy theory, I think Car- uh, Popper, he meant, he said, I think he says Popper, essentially, the philosopher who's a tremendous influence on uh, Soros, by the way, um, and the whole open society concept. Uh, Popper basically was the one that created that notion of conspiracy theory, um, basically more as like a, something to be ridiculed. I mean, back in the time period of the 50s, there was a book called Power Elite. I think it was written in the 50s that was or early 60s. It was really, really a powerful book, you know, just talking about the nature of these different structures that uh, essentially like talk about deep states, but like, yeah, to the power elite, those behind the scenes that are actually influencing and running society. So, you know, um, the communist conspiracy was always referred to, by the way, talk about conspiracies. The communist conspiracy was referred to, you know, since you could say since the days of, of Hoover took over the FBI, but definitely, you know, by the time of McCarthy and whatnot, it was a huge, you know, concept, a communist conspiracy. So the term conspiracy theory was weaponized. I don't know, like, I don't know where, like the first time it was mentioned, I'm not sure if Popper was the first one to ever use that okay, term. So or I was told by someone who studied this very thing, Professor yeah. Mark Crispin Miller, who is Miller's great. trying to destroy him at NYU. He's really fighting mm-hmm. a battle for being an open-minded academic. Yeah, no, he's great. All right, just an open-minded guy that gets you to think about all these things. Yes. And he described how conspiracy theory is a weaponized phrase, as you put it, came about with um, the intelligence community. Maybe it was the precursor to the CIA, but no, it was some it be CIA. would it I be CIA, CIA. Mm-hmm. Um, during the JFK? They were talking about controversializing reporters who were looking at theories about the assassination and they wanted to make them apparently, according to the documents you see, they wanted to controversialize and make the public not believe that. And they talked about, you know, fanning out and doing interviews and making it seem as those people are conspiracy theorists, as if it's something derogatory. Yes. Now my, hu- my husband pointed out he's former law enforcement and an attorney. And he jokes all the time, like kind of like you said about the revolution being a conspiracy. Everything's a conspiracy. When people act like conspiracy theories are crazy, Bonnie and Clyde were, were a conspiracy. Most any robbery that involves more than one person is a conspiracy. Rico. Rico, you know, racketeering actions. Anything where two or more people get together and plan something, often it implies some kind of crime, but is a conspiracy. So conspiracies are happening all around us every day. Um, nearly every high profile crime that's occurred in recent history has some element of conspiracy. So the propaganda campaign to convince us that a conspiracy theory is crazy when in fact they're exceedingly common is of itself really interesting. Oh, it's, it's laughable. Like you said, the government uses conspiracy all the time. If you were to, you know, have a, a conversation with, with some, you know, someone that they claim to be a terrorist, right. And, you know, you name it, like the, you know, they, they could try to get to bust you on, cons- on conspiracy, you know, I mean, conspiracy with, you know, 
to, to commit something, right. To plot right. something to. So the, I always say that with the nature of why, the, what, why conspiracies are, are not only are real, but why it's difficult sometimes to prove them is because what happens is, as you know, the lobbyists and, and uh, that work for the, you know, the big corporations and whatnot, they will, they will start to change laws to, f- to fit the agenda. Right. So it's like, it no longer, it, it's like the, the term conspiracy is oftentimes used so loosely like, oh, it's a conspiracy to, to question, uh, you know, I don't know, Fauci or something, right. Or the backs or any of these things, right. It's a conspiracy theory, but it's like, well, no, once you're in power and once you start to like, you know, create policy and create law and whatnot, it's not a conspiracy anymore. I mean, it, you could say it's, it, it might be immoral, but essentially once you have the laws, you know, working for you, you, you're basically, you are the authority you're creating, you're creating the structure you know, that allows you to do things like, you know, put dogs heads in, um, in, in, you know, what is it? Heads and in, in be eaten by fire yeah, ants. I mean, mesh boxes or something with sand fleas right. eating them. Yeah, exactly. To, you know, basically torture dogs. Like, well, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. It's like, uh, well, it may have been a conspiracy theory last year. <laughs> now it's the conspiracy <laughs> fact this year, you know, once right. documented. But you, can't say that's a, but you can't say he's committing a conspiracy because actually what he's doing is perfectly legal according to their policy. And that's what people have to wrap their head around, right? Like it can sound fantastical, but it, it's totally legal. And that's what's really weird about the nature of our reality is like how many things that we think are immoral, corrupt, uh, disturbing are legalized, right? They've been legalized by those in power, just like the FDA not having, I'm sorry, the FDA, they, just like, um, you know, big pharma not being liable for these experimental medicines that they're hoisting on us. Filmmaker Sean Stone. For more information on best kept secret, go to seanstone.info. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And I hope you'll check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, wherever you like to listen. Leave a great review, share it with your friends, and be sure to always do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. All right, folks, all of you know the story about my crick in my neck and how I bought a my pillow a few years ago, and all of a sudden, my neck just healed up. In fact, the orthopedist couldn't figure out what the heck had John done. I, it was simple. I just bought one of Mike Lindell's pillows and I all of a sudden found I wasn't sleeping right on my pillow. Mike's pillows did the trick. Well, guess what? He's done it again. He's got something new. He's now introducing his new My Slippers. You want the best slipper ever, the best foot experience late at night? Well, Mike has got it. He took over two years to develop this. He designed it to wear this slipper indoor and outdoor all day long. It's comfortable, it's durable. It's made with my pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue in the slipper. And it's made with quality leather suede. They look good, they feel good, they wear good. For a limited time now, Mike is offering 50% off his new My Slippers. You will also receive a free book with any purchase. The My Slippers are so comfortable that you'll want to get some for the whole family. It's a great gift, especially heading into springtime. So here, here's what you do. You go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's easy to remember, right? The promo code JUSTNEWS and you will get deep discounts on all the MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and of course, the MyPillow towel set. And don't forget, y'all want those my slippers. You got to have them. They're incredible. Here's another way you can take advantage of this. You can call 800 800- 951-3715 and use the promo code just news when someone picks up. Call 800-951-3715. Use the promo code just news. Pretty simple stuff for the best slipper sheet pillow experience of your life. <laughs>